But anyway, our speaker today is, um, is a lady who's a credential minister of the Assemblies of God. Her name is Reverend Donna Barrett. Well, Donna, of course, has uh, been in our movement for a long time. But get this now, she is the very first woman ever in the Assemblies of God well, let me pause, pause right there. We have a general superintendent, a general assistant. We have a general secretary, a general treasurer, all are full-time. We also have a U.S. missions director, and uh, we have a world missions director. Those are the, the six people that actually rule leadership in the Assemblies of God. Well, the first woman ever to fill the role of General Secretary is our guest today. She's did a, she did a remarkable job. As a matter of fact, she said, I don't, I don't need to go some church. She started her own church called Rockside Church, did a phenomenal job. All of a sudden, God places her in the highest position in our movement. And you cannot get a credential at all. You can't renew your credentials or anything unless you go through her office. You're talking about power. You better be good to her. Would you welcome? for the first time, Donna Barrett, everybody. <laughs> God bless you. Uh, hey, good morning, friends. It's been so good being with you here at Victory Church. We had a phenomenal time yesterday with our women, and I just really salute Pastor Sharon and the leadership she gives to that event that we enjoyed yesterday. Well, I bring you greetings from our superintendent, Doug Clay. It's his vision that in the Assemblies of God, we will see a healthy church in every community across the United States. So how are we defining healthy? Well, we're defining a healthy church in three ways. Number one, being biblically engaged. Number two, spirit-empowered. And number three, missions-involved. And can't you say that Victory Church is a healthy church? Give yourselves a hand. I love what you're doing here for missions and the way you're reaching out into the community and caring for people, taking the unchanging love of Christ to this ever-changing world. In fact, our world is changing so much that I don't know if there's ever been a time in history when we've had such a variety of types of churches, types of worship, types of churches. Well, even this morning down in Miami, getting ready for the Super Bowl, Kanye West was having a worship service with his own choir, attracting people that otherwise might not have been attracted to the church, to Jesus, except through the style that they can relate to. Isn't that awesome? Well, in the Assemblies of God, we have all kinds of styles. There's traditional and contemporary, classical, Pentecostal, megachurches and small rural churches. In fact, just last Friday, I got an email from my office saying, we just opened Cowboy Church in South Texas. That's the name of the church, Cowboy Church. Isn't that great? Reaching all kinds of people. The concern that brings to me is that sometimes we can get distracted with the style, the brand of Christianity, the way we're doing church, our personal preferences, that we can get distracted from the reality that the one we serve is the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we're serving. So it doesn't matter if you prefer this style or that style, we can still 
worship Jesus to contemporary music or bluegrass music or whatever it might be because it's Jesus that we serve. He's the one that we're following. When you think about following Jesus, think about walking behind Jesus so much that when he was on this earth, the dust of the rabbi splashed back on whoever was following him, the disciples that were behind him. And what if you followed Jesus so closely that when you're walking and he stops, you just come to a screeching halt. And when he starts walking, you move again and you are moving with Jesus in such a way that the dust of the rabbi comes up on your shoes. Look at it this way. I love to learn computer best by looking over the shoulder of someone who does it better. And when you're both looking at the same screen, they can narrate what they're doing and what you're seeing in a way that you learn best. And so don't we learn about Jesus best by putting our chin on his shoulder and looking over his shoulder to say, Jesus, how did you do it when you walked on this earth? How did you pray? What was your life like? And remember, it's the person of Jesus Christ that we're following, not styles or preferences or brands, but Jesus, will you say that name with me? Jesus, let's say that name again, Jesus. He is the one we serve. So as I was thinking about this concept, about following Jesus more closely, I was dropping it over the grid of prayer. I just wrote a book about prayer called Leveling the Praying Field, and I was interacting with several of you earlier and signing books. They're available in the lobby if you'd like to pick one up today. When we think about leveling the praying field, I entitled it that because the reality is that Jesus wants to hear from and speak to every single believer. Prayer isn't for a, a certain select group of people that meet on Tuesday mornings and pray on behalf of everyone else. Prayer isn't for a few specialists that do it really well while others leave it to them. Prayer is for every believer. In fact, talking to God and hearing from God is to the Christian what breathing is to our bodies. Now, until I mentioned that, you didn't think about the reality that you are sitting there breathing, but don't we enjoy breathing? It keeps us going. No one else can do it for you. You have to breathe for yourself, and that's how prayer is as well. We each need to talk to God and hear from God for ourselves, and so I wrote the book, Leveling the Praying Field, so that we could help others come along in that journey, so that we could see that prayer is not one of the gifts of the Spirit. Instead, prayer fuels all the gifts of the Spirit. Prayer is not something a few do for everyone, but all of us talk to God and pray to the Lord and hear from Him. So how do we learn about prayer best? Well, I think the best way to learn about prayer is looking over the shoulder of Jesus while he was praying, following along as he's walking through this life praying. Jesus is our best example of prayer. In the Gospel of Luke alone, there are at least 11 or 12 times when Jesus didn't just talk about prayer, but he was actually praying. And from that, we can learn from Jesus' example. And so this morning, I'd like to take you through some of those passages of Scripture to see what we can learn in our prayer lives about Jesus. I know this church has just gone through a 14-day time of fasting and prayer. 
And I met yesterday and today in the lobby some of you that have been with this church from its beginning, some who have been here for a couple of decades. You are seasoned believers in the Lord. And you know, sometimes we don't even realize that we're talking about prayer or remembering a previous season when we prayed more, but the present season of our prayer life really could use a shot in the arm, really could use turning the dial and kicking it up a couple notches. So I want you to do this. Wherever you're at in your prayer life this morning, maybe you're a very beginner, or maybe you're thinking, my prayer life is stronger than it's ever been, I want to challenge you to turn the dial a couple notches and ramp up your prayer life even further than where it's at right now. May 2020 be a year that you and God connect in a way like you've never connected before. May you see incredible things happen as a result of your prayer life because you've re-energized it in 2020 in a great way. That's my challenge to you. So turn in your Bibles with me if you would and let's look at a couple passages of scripture. Luke chapter 31 verses 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This passage has so much activity in it that it took me a while to notice that Jesus was actually praying during this time. I mean, you've got this, the Father's voice coming, you've got the Spirit of the Lord descending, you've got Jesus being baptized, and he was praying at that time. He was talking to his heavenly Father in the midst of this very significant experience in his life. And the heavenly Father was speaking to him too. You're my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to ask you, when was the last time God affirmed you? When was the last time God complimented you as you're talking back and forth? Do you know that God is not in a bad mood? <laughs> Do you know that God wants to say affirming things to you as well as corrective things? Sometimes we can get stuck in a rut in our prayer time, and what we sense God is saying to us is just all the time correcting and challenging us to improve. Stop doing this, pray harder, try, do better, should have been there sooner. That's not really the nature of God according to this passage of God talking to Jesus. He was actually affirming his son. I wanna encourage you in your prayer time next time, make some space for the Lord to compliment you, to say, I'm so glad you're on the front row on Sunday morning. I'm so glad you got up and went to church this morning. Allow the Lord to say to you, I'm so thankful you're three years sober. There are so many good things you're doing in your life that is pleasing to the Lord, and he loves to affirm his sons and daughters, just like he did for Jesus. The unique thing about this passage is that Jesus hadn't even started his ministry yet at this point. He hadn't done any work for the Lord, and yet the Father said, you're my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Sometimes we think God loves us because we're working for him or we're working harder, but as much as he appreciates that, he loves you 
just for being you. He loves you just because you are his beloved. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he loves you because you are his masterpiece. He has created you. It's not performance-based. It's grace-based. It's just because you are you, the Father loves you. And in this passage of Scripture, we're able to see what Jesus' prayer life looked like and how we can grab some of those principles for ourselves. Let's look at another verse in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, For Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So some of his prayer was in public, some of it was drawing away in a lonely place. Let me just share from my own life those times of coming away from the Lord. First thing is the Sabbath. It was God's plan in the Old Testament from the beginning of time and in the Ten Commandments that we would work six, rest one. Work six days, rest one day. That's in the New Testament as well, and it's not just a command, it's actually a gift. When I get to the end of the sixth day, I cannot wait for that seventh day when I'm going to unplug from work and just rest, be with God, and chill out. It's a beautiful gift the Lord gives us, this idea of Sabbath, and he wants us all to be practicing it. And it's a great way to be able to have a rhythm of prayer for your life. The other principle that I find helpful is going away for uh, a quarterly prayer retreat and getting out of town, unplugging, turning off my electronics, and just spending some time praying before the Lord. Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to pray. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says of Jesus, and rising up a great while before day, he, Jesus, went off into a solitude place, and there he prayed. If you think your prayer life can be sustained by praying on the run, in the fly, in the moment all the time, you're going to come up short because there are times we just need to break away and be with God. Jesus set that example for us. Before leaving the pastorate, I spent the night in the sanctuary praying because it was a, a time of just making a good decision. Jesus had a good decision, a big decision to make. He was going to choose his 12 disciples. So let's look and see what he did the night before he chose his 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came... He called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. What a big decision he had to make, and he spent the night in prayer first. If you have a big decision to make, you're going to buy a house or enter into a relationship or resign from a job or relocate to another part of the country, we make big decisions all the time and consult a lot of people but do we stop to really carve out a significant amount of time in prayer? Jesus' example to us was he spent the night in prayer before he made this really big decision. When I was pastoring in Cleveland, it was a church plant, a district affiliate church, and that included choosing three people to serve on an advisory board. And the pastor got to choose the advisory board, 
And so I wanted to pray about the three names that I had chosen, but I'll be honest to tell you, I already had my mind made up. I kind of just wanted God to affirm what I already wanted to do. I had chosen three people that I liked them and they liked me, the congregation liked them, they had a good business savvy about them. I thought, why would these three not be wonderful choices for the advisory board? And I was gonna pray about it, but I had my mind made up. So I went away for a, a retreat weekend to West Virginia, and I went up the mountain with a chair on my back and my Bible and journal under my arm, got myself all situated and began talking to the Lord. And as I was praying, I sensed him changing those names one by one. And the three names I had gone up the mountain with, I came down the mountain with three totally different names. Fast forward 16 years later. What if I had chosen my choice instead of God's choice? Well, the three that God did choose were wonderful leaders. They had their fingerprints on the DNA of that church. Today, they are still serving the Lord and loving him. The three people I chose, who at the time seemed right, one of them ended up being an atheist and saying, I no longer believe in God. Another one fell into complacent mediocrity. Another one, practicing unbiblical sexuality. What would the church have looked like to have those people as the leader, my choice, instead of the leaders we had that were God's choice? Friend, when you're making a big decision in life, it's great to seek wise counsel. It's good to use logic. It's fine to make a list of the pros and cons. But at the end of the day, young people, there is no substitute for earnestly seeking the will of the Lord, and it might look different than anyone else thought. Pray like Jesus through the night before big decisions. Another example of Jesus' prayer life is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. The Bible says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with them, he asked them, who do you say I am? Now this almost looks like an oxymoron here. It says he was praying in private and his disciples were with them. How do you do that? You pray in private when you're in the middle of a crowd. You stop and whisper a prayer to the Lord while you're sitting in a board meeting and it seems like confusion is ruling. You pray in private while you're sitting in the classroom and you need the Lord's help and you need to call out to God. You pray in private while you're in the middle of a football stadium and there are people all around you, but you know that there are lost people here that need the Lord. Yes, it's possible to pray in private while you're in a crowd. It's a beautiful practice that Jesus models here that all of us can continually do. Then Jesus said, who do, you say I, who do the crowds say I am? You know, prayer is a wonderful place to fine-tune identity, fine-tune who God is. When we go to the Lord in prayer, it's no longer big me and little God. It's huge God and little I. When we go to the Lord in prayer, he brings into alignment who we are in Christ Jesus. We are finally his masterpiece, his son, his daughter, capable of doing whatever he's put before us Identity aligns up beautifully in a place of prayer. He is big, we are small. He is God, we are not. Because we've come to him in prayer. Jesus modeled that 
and gave us an example. Prayer helps us realign our identity, not just who we are, but whose we are. In Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, if you're going to take your leadership to the next level, you need to pray yourself and you need to bring others with you. I would ask you this morning, who are you mentoring in prayer? I can tell you that the best gift you can ever give another person is to teach them how to talk to God and hear from God for themselves. For once a person learns how to pray, they're going to be set to stay in touch with the Heavenly Father no matter what life gives them. They might get transferred to Afghanistan in the military, they might, get, they might go away to a, a liberal university on the other side of town. They might move to Alaska. They might become incarcerated or end up in a nursing home. Wherever they go, if you have taught your friend how to talk to God and hear from God, they'll be able to be a self-feeder and self-sustained wherever they go. It's the most beautiful gift you could give to someone. And so I would ask you this morning, who are you training to pray? Do you have grandchildren? Don't just let them hear you pray, but empower them to participate and pray for themselves. Do you have good friends that you hang out with all the time and you do all kinds of things with? It's beautiful to have fun together and it's precious to stop and say, hey, before we go tonight, would you mind just praying with me about this situation? Or when someone surfaces a need, Boy, I'm sorry you're going through that. Would, would you be comfortable if we just stopped and prayed right now? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be fancy. It has to be authentic. And it has to be to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And you can give someone else a gift of prayer without it costing you anything at all. Peter, James, and John. They went with Jesus to the top of the mountain to pray together. I can tell you some of the best things I've learned about prayer have been things my friends have taught me. Mentors who are 10 or 15 years older than me telling me about their prayer life and telling me techniques that they've used to pray. One of my best friends, Pam, taught me to pray using what we call the Red Pen Journal. Pam would say, well, God's telling me this, and God spoke to me this, and what's God saying to you? And in an honest moment, I said, I don't know what God's saying to me. How are you hearing the voice of God? And she says, well, it's different for everyone, but for me, in the mornings, I go to my prayer chair in my living room with a cup of coffee, my Bible, and my prayer journal. And she said, I write my prayers out to Jesus in blue ink, what I want to say to the Lord, and then I wait in his presence, and I look at the scripture, I listen to the promptings in my heart, and what I sense God is saying back to me, I write in red in my prayer journal. And so after a while, we have a conversation going back, blue ink, red ink, of God and I talking to one another, listening to one another. There's a record then to go back and look later if you're wondering, why did I go that way? Or what was, oh yeah, God was telling me that. It's a beautiful record. It slows down the conversation because when we're talking, we go fast. But when we are writing and the words come down our arms to the end of the ink pen, 
things slow down quite a bit. It takes it from the abstract of, I sense God was saying this, to needing to make a sentence out of what we sensed God was saying. And red pen journaling, I started several decades ago, has really made a difference in my prayer life. I would encourage you, when you go to the top of the mountain to pray, take a Peter, a James, a John. Take people with you and encourage and mentor other people in prayer life. Luke chapter 10, verses 21 and 22 says this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Well, first of all, Jesus started out with a prayer of gratitude, and that's always a great place to start. I don't know about you, but God has been so good to me that when I start to thank him and praise him, and have a prayer of gratitude, I could just stop right there because he's been so good. There's something about praying prayers of gratefulness to the Lord that just gets you moving in the right direction. Jesus set that example again and again. He thanked the Father. It's not just a, a feel-good task to be grateful. It's actually spiritual warfare to be grateful. It actually breaks bondages of, of complacency, breaks bondages of negativity when we begin to just thank the Lord for the blessings he's given to us. And Jesus' prayer was just that. Jesus' prayer in the passage I just read was also an example of yielding what we're praying about to the sovereignty of God. Sometimes when we pray, it almost can sound like a Santa Claus wish list. God, here's what I need from you. Here's my situation. And I can tell you how you can fix it. And we give God so much prescription that it takes his sovereignty out of it. But prayer is really this relationship with him where we talk back and forth about the burdens we carry and then we yield to the Lord for him to respond in the way that he wants to respond. And that's what was going on in this passage of scripture. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. It's a great model to learn how to pray. If you're brand new at praying, pray the Lord's Prayer. Unpack that, it's a beautiful prayer. I wanna look at just the verse that preceded Jesus giving the Lord's Prayer. We're not gonna look at the Lord's Prayer, but the, the scene that happened right before that. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verse one. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, it's probably a good thing we don't get much detail here about Jesus' prayer life because we might think that there was something in those details. We don't see here, it, all it says is that one day he was praying in a certain place. We don't see here if his prayer was a, a really long one or a brief prayer. We don't see if Jesus was praying loudly or in a whisper. We can't see, the scripture doesn't tell us if he was kneeling down with his face to the ground or was he pacing back and forth, we don't know. What we do know is that the curious onlookers said, I want some of that. I wanna be able to pray like I just observed Jesus praying. They knew they needed him to teach them. Now they could have asked for 
a lot of things from Jesus. Jesus, teach us to worship. Teach us to evangelize. Teach us to run the compassion program. They could have asked of anything of Jesus, but they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. It was that important, and Jesus did that. I would challenge you today, when others watch your prayer life, does it create an appetite in them of saying, I want to learn to pray like you pray. Would you teach me how to pray like that? Does it create a curiosity in them that causes them to say, I need to learn. Can you teach me? That's what Jesus modeled for us right here. In Luke chapter 22, verses 17 to 19, the Bible says this. After taking the cup, he, Jesus, gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, praying around a meal... That's low-hanging fruit. You live down here in the Bible Belt. I look around in restaurants, and a lot of people bow their heads and pray. I come from Cleveland, Ohio. That wasn't so common there. And so when I would be out with guests that weren't Christians, I would ask them ahead of time, hey, I typically pray at my meal. Would you be okay if I said a short prayer? They'd always say, sure, go ahead. And after a while, when I would eat with the same people, they'd say, hey, are you going to say a prayer, Reverend, before we do this? And it became common. I remember one time I was at Applebee's with one of the city council members from the city where we were at, and she turned to me and said, Reverend, are you going to say a prayer before we eat? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, sure. So I prayed a prayer, and it included the phrase, Lord, be with those in our city that don't have food to eat. And after I said amen, she looked me in the eye and she said, do we have people in our city without food? And that led into a beautiful discussion about programs that we had around and some of my knowledge of what was going on in the city. It spearheaded, it springboarded us into a great discussion. What kind of discussion could be springboarded in by you having a prayer with people at the table? How might God want to use that simple, low-hanging fruit of praying a prayer around the table? Last night, I was out to dinner with your pastor and his wife, and our waiter happened to be a Christian young man that they knew. When it came time to say grace, pastor said, hey, Nate, would you sit down and lead us in prayer? And we joined hands and prayed together with our waiter. Sometimes prayer at the food table is a great opportunity for you to connect other people in, for you to say something across the table that makes a difference. It's low-hanging fruit. I lived in an apartment in Cleveland, Ohio for 23 years, and my neighbors were from the country of India. They were um, Hindu, and some were from Turkey that were Muslim and different ones. But uh, by the time I left, I was the only Anglo person living in my building. And so we had an interesting building. The fragrances in the hallway were from foods of many countries and a lot of spices. It was wonderful. We shared laundry space together, so it gave me an opportunity to interact with these young business professionals that had come to Cleveland, mostly for the IT industry and the medical profession, and they had young kids, and we interacted. I tried to move out a couple times, and the Lord said, I want you to stay here. You're living here on purpose. And so I stayed there, and one of my friends, a project, I would often have 
meals with me, and I would do, as I mentioned, say, do you mind if I pray before we eat? Oh, sure, that would be fine. I'm going to pray to Jesus. I know you have other gods. Is that okay? Sure, that would be fine. And so I would pray before we would eat, short prayers, simple prayers, and um, she very quickly developed that as a habit, and we would stop, and she said, are you going to pray? Sure. So after a while, I started to say, hey, would you like to pray? Oh, no, 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 she laughed. A couple times I kept asking her, would you like to pray? Well, one time when I asked her that, she actually surprised me, and she said, yes, I would like to give it a try. So she prayed the most beautiful prayer to Jesus over our food, and it was just precious. Well, it wasn't long after that that she said, you know, I thought if I have a pastor living across the hall from me, I should ask you to teach me about the Bible. Would you do that? I said, yes, I will. (laughs) What a beautiful opportunity. So we met weekly and took a book, took a chapter in the book of John and worked our way all the way through John. And it started through the curiosity that was created by praying over food. It's low-hanging fruit to pray. I want to share with you uh, just one more passage before our band returns and the pastor comes for a challenge. And this is from Luke chapter 22, verses 40 and 44. And I want to look specifically at the 44th verse. The scene is that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's next. He's in a bad, uncomfortable situation. You know, sometimes when we're praying and the circumstances are pressing in and they're just uncomfortable and wrong, we stop praying. Thankfully, Jesus didn't do that. But what it says in verse 44 is this, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Isn't that beautiful? I'm gonna challenge you that when you're in prayer and it seems like things aren't working well or there's anguish around you, don't give up, but dig in. Don't stop, but pray more earnestly. Dig in. Here's a word I have for this church. I believe there are people in this church that have walked with the Lord for decades. You love the Lord. There are people in this room that already are praying fervently. And the Lord wants you to do two things. Kick it up a notch yourself and bring your own Peter, James, and John with you into that prayer experience. Mentor others, teach others how to pray. Bring others along, multiply yourself. Empower them to talk to God and hear from God so that even if your paths separate, they're still connected with the one that can take them into eternity. Would you do that? Would you kick it up a notch and would you take three others with you? Now, I would love to just say a prayer for you as we transition and the worship team returns and your pastor comes to give you a challenge and to help you. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you even want to talk to us and hear from us. We're honored. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to this earth to model for us how to love you well. And Father, we pray that you would take away every distraction, move away the styles and the um, ways in which we do things, the personal preferences, the brandings we have of our own preference of Christianity, and may we align ourselves with the person of Jesus so tightly that the dust of the rabbi splashes back on us, that our chin is on your shoulder as we look how you lived. Father, we pray that you would 
increase the prayer life of every believer in this room. For some who don't pray, may this be the start. For those who are praying, may they press in even more with earnesty and fervency. And Father, we pray that you would use this church in great ways in this community, in this state, and yes, around the world because of the prayer initiative that's going on among the body of believers at Victory Church. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You appreciate that message, everybody? Wonderful. She mentioned her book uh, early on. It is uh, Leveling the Praying Field. And you will read what she just presented and much, much more that will inspire your life. So I pray it's $10. She'll sign it if you like. What a wonderful testimony of God's favor. Would you stand? Uh, we know that in this room right now and listening online are people that need a miracle from the Lord. Yesterday, a dear friend of mine who's the assistant superintendent of the state of Ohio um, was on an interstate, rear-ended, pushed into the other lane, and killed him instantly. That's a friend of Donna. She worked with him. And so remember the Jim Palmer family. Also, uh, remember my brother, if you don't mind, who's in Lakeland Regional with heart that's racing away. So asking the Lord to undertake for him. Athena Rayburn needs a miracle. Others need a miracle of God. How many of you know someone that need a miracle? Just a miracle of God. And this morning in this room, or some of you need a touch. Here's what I know. The Holy Spirit will speak to you as we prepare to come into the altar and nudge you forward. And you can do one of two things. The Bible says that preceding every miracle was an act of obedience. During this service, I got a text from Gary Brown, Myrna. They live in celebration and they drove for years here. She's fighting off cancer and uh, I got a report from him a moment ago and said, Pastor, please, please tell our church to pray. We need an absolute miracle. Myrna actually opened her eyes and looked around. I believe that God can push her on through to get that healing. Amen. I believe that. So I know that some of you, your heart's not right. So how do you know that? Because I, I know the percentages, the balcony and here that some of you blew it this week. Some of you made decisions that were not complimentary of your walk with Jesus. Some of you, um, you haven't quite settled down. But today, God's speaking to you. And then here's what I know. For all you parents, God's got your child's number. And he's about to dial it up and challenge them to renew their faith in Christ. I believe that. So let me pray now, and then we'll pray a sinner's prayer. Heavenly Father, in your name, I place this congregation in your hands. I ask you to visit us through the power of your anointing. I pray, Holy Spirit, for those listening online right now that you would touch them and minister to their need. 
I pray in this room right now for those who, who need a miracle, and there were many, that God, we know that miracles come out of acts of obedience. So right now, begin to unrest us and arrest us in your holy presence. And we believe that you will forgive us of our sins if we pray. Let's repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thanks for dying for my sins. I repent of my sins. Create a pure heart in me. Touch my mind, touch my heart, touch my spirit. I no longer resist you, but I welcome you to lead my life. In Jesus' name, amen. What's about to happen is a divine miracle. You're going to see people respond because the Holy Spirit is moving right now. So as we sing this song, if God's pulling on you, don't be disobedient. Slip down. We'll pray, and I'll give the benediction in just a moment. Stay with me, and please don't leave yet. Here we go. You need prayer. Come on. Come on down. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Thank you, Lord. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Let's sing it together. Heavenly Father, a miracle is taking place in the house. Lord, you are moving by divine unction. We can talk about I'd like to feel the presence of God while he's here. So God, when our minds are off us and other things and it's on you, we feel the communion of your Holy Spirit. Let, let your healing be accomplished. Give comfort to those that are in grieving. Give a miraculous healing to those who have no other way to go but the touch of Jesus. And then, Lord, give us a great afternoon and bring us back safely tonight. And we'll give you praise and honor in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Don't forget, get your book out there. God bless you. Five o'clock is when we start. Thank you. Go Chiefs. God bless. I give myself.
Give myself away so you 